Hello and welcome to Decoding Cannabis, the podcast in which we're trying to figure out what are the magic properties of cannabis? How does it work on the mind? How does it impact the mind? How could it be that cannabis helps people with anxiety and yet can cause anxiety and paranoia with others? What does it do with PTSD? How does it help autism? Why does it help sometimes and some other times it doesn't? In the last few episodes, you heard a father of two autistic children who uh, attested uh, how magical was the impact of marijuana on his relationship with his kids and on the way they were able to communicate with him. In the episode before that, you heard a man who cured his cancer using marijuana. And uh, before that, you heard John, uh, a soldier with PTSD who is using marijuana in order to function. Uh, without it, he um, experiences uh, various symptoms that are causing him to be somewhat dysfunctional in day-to-day -day life. And John is here with me again today. Hello, John. Welcome to Decoding Cannabis. Thanks for having me, Eric. Great to be back. Excellent. Um, so... John and I spoke over the past couple of weeks, and um, we we came to an understanding that maybe if we'll work together here in the podcast, um, I can give John some information with which he can better control his PTSD and better manage his relationship with marijuana. Now, I'm not a doctor, nor am I a scientist. I'm merely a, you know, ultimately I'm a philosopher, I'm a metaphysicist, I'm someone who investigates and research the mind uh, using marijuana and without. So really, John, all I can do is give you information um, and I can share with you experience and I can share with you suggestions. But at the end of the day, you're the only one who has access to your own mind. And I'm, I'm kind of preempting everything and telling you that because it is very important that you make decisions um, intuitively and based on the information you have from various sources. And don't treat me as a doctor, because I'm not a doctor. Um, not that doctors necessarily know what to do. Um, and that's a whole separate topic. And I actually want to go into that branch a little bit uh, for you as well as the listeners. At the end of the day, we don't know what the mind is. I'm talking about as a collective. What is the difference between, say, PTSD and schizophrenia? If schizophrenia is the manifestation of uh, various sounds and images uh, that are not that are involuntary, PTSD is somewhat similar. But the only difference is that PTSD, these sounds and uh, and or images are real. They actually took place in the past, sometimes. Sometimes they're exaggerated. Sometimes they're developed. What's the difference between schizophrenia and psychosis? Well, psychosis is the symptom, right? We're experiencing reality in a particular way that is not really real. So if someone has an anxiety attack or someone, someone is deep in depression, essentially they're suffering from a form of psychosis because they're approaching reality in a manner that is is not really real. It's not really representative of what reality is. And so we have all these names for all these mental conditions, but in reality, it's a very loose definition. 
Is there a structure and a mechanism to the mind? What is really happening in the mind that is causing all these symptoms to appear? And what can we do in order to alleviate them? And how can we use marijuana in order to alleviate them? Now, the average doctor that is prescribing something, doesn't matter what it is, it could be a, a psychiatrist who's subscribing uh, mental medication, you know, uh, pills for um, chemicals for the mind. It could be anything from Ritalin to uh, for a kid who suffers from um, attention deficit disorder or uh, stronger uh, drugs such as uh, Xanax or who knows what for anxiety. The average doctor who prescribes these things have never experienced the actual phenomena in his life. And that is actually usually true for scientists as well. Scientists who usually term and name conditions such as autism, such as Asperger's, such as aphantasia, are usually people who do not experience that mental condition. And I say that to remind you, John, and to remind the audience, to remind the listeners, that the only person that can make a determination is the individual himself or the guardian who is responsible. And there's a lot of, you know, the first thing um, that you notice when you hold a microphone in your hand is the weight, just like a gun. When you hold a gun for the first time, it's like, whoa, this is a heavy. A microphone is like a gun in the sense that it has the power to change someone's reality. And it, could, it can help us, it can defend us, it can, and it can also cause damage. And I want to emphasize this point here, John, before we start this first session in a series of a few, in which we're going to try to understand how your mind works and what is exactly happening when you have um, an attack or some kind of a, a condition, you know, a situation where um, the PTSD takes over. And what happens when you smoke marijuana? And as we do that, I just want to remind people that at the end of the day, at the end of the day, there is no one who can know what's happening in your mind, even if he's done research like I have over the past six to nine years. It does not matter. Your mind is infinitely unique, John, and you're the only one who can who can determine what to do at any given point. I will give you information and I will ask you questions and I will interview you and we're going to do that, but I want you to remember that. Um, and I'll give you one little example from last episode when I was talking to um, Jeremy, the father of the two autistic kids. When I share with him the information about how sativa changes our time perception versus indica, then he literally repeated, okay, so I'm going to go check this particular... Um, I'm going to go check uh, that um, this kid is taking sativa versus this kid who's taking indigo or, or the other way around. And I stopped him and I said, no, 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 listen, don't change anything. I'm just giving you information. Use the information to reflect and to digest what's happening. But at the end of the day, it is, it is only the person on the ground. It's sort of like, uh, uh, you know, the ancient Chinese philosophy, the art of war, um, uh, the book basically says that only the matsbi, how do you say matsbi in English? Only the commander on the ground? Yeah. Only the... the yeah, only, 
the general on the ground yeah. can make that determination of what is exactly is happening and make a decision. Even the king does not have the ability to to say what's going on. And you're you're the king of your own mind. So uh, with that disclaimer, um, does that make sense to you, John? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something that, <clears throat> I mean, I'm not coming into this with any sort of uh, preconceived notions or expectations, but just as cannabis is a tool, just as seeing a psychologist is a tool, just like going to group therapy or a men's group is, is a tool, meeting with you and, and trying to go at this from a level that otherwise I would never have the opportunity to do, I think is invaluable. I think taking a look at it from the standpoint of trying to unlock how my mind experiences cannabis and how I can try to control that to my benefit and to make my treatment as effective as possible to the point that I won't have to use cannabis constantly. It'll be an enhancement as it is for many instead of a necessity. Beautifully said. Thank you. So what we're going to do today is I'm going to ask you a whole bunch of questions about your mind. Um, as a reminder, and for those who did not hear the previous episode uh, in which I interviewed you and we spoke a little bit about the mind and about you know how PTSD impacts your life, I'm going to go ahead and repeat what I remember about your marijuana usage and about the way PTSD um, impacts you. And I'm doing this in order to um, sort of repeat it in my head, and then I want you to correct me if I say anything that is inaccurate, okay? Absolutely. So, so you're using marijuana uh, normally. Of course, I'm, I'm sure it's changing on a regular basis just because of your supply and the what you, what you have the ability to use or not, and, you know, we're different every day. But you described a situation where you're... Um, you're sort of swimming between the, uh, you're running between the raindrops when you're using marijuana in a very specific way. And ultimately the preferred scenario is that you'll have four different strains and you're using these four different strains four different times a day um, in order to balance yourself between work, home life and sleep so that you'll be able to sleep. And you've described a scenario in a situation that is very delicate if uh, a particular strain is missing, then that flow is ruined. And if um, um, if for some reason your activities change, then uh, your your dependency on this, uh, you know, on this altering substance uh, can can be an issue. Um, and you've described a situation that is heavily dependent on marijuana, and sort of a situation where. You know, you know, we were talking about, for example, the topic of fatigue. When we use a uh, high sativa, you know, there's usually significant fatigue once, once there's a drop at the end of at the end of the high, and you say, "Oh yeah, well, I use, I use it again to pick me up." And so you've described a situation that while marijuana, on one hand, it's like a double-edged sword, cherev um, pipiot, a double-edged sword. On one hand, it's allowing you to be functional. At the same time, it's creating a dependency. Um, in your life that is that is not healthy. So far, accurate? Absolutely. You hit it right the nail right on the head. head the, yeah. One second. Okay, so, and then you were describing um, in terms of your PTSD, and I think we were a little bit vague on that. Um, 
and we'll have a chance to drop into it a little bit more, I hope, if not today, the yeah. next time. Um, you were describing, uh, um, when you were actually describing the PTSD, you were talking about sounds. You're talking about uh, screaming of people who just lost their loved ones. And you also mentioned a couple of times that you fainted. Am, do I remember correctly? Um, yeah, there were um, several occasions where um, after I had taken part in uh, the operations um, in Gaza, um, I had come home uh, on uh, July 4th and gone to one of the classic fireworks celebrations. Um, and I was with a friend and my father at the time. Um, and once the fireworks started going off, I basically blacked out and was back there um, under rocket fire and seeing like the, the zigzags across the sky. Um, and ever since, even uh, years afterwards to this day, like last year, I was in the States for Labor Day and it was a there was a traditional uh, fireworks display and I didn't have cannabis at the time. Um, and I, I tried to go outside and I lasted about two seconds before I was inside and I had my head between my knees. So it sounds like uh, the sound of fireworks or uh, bangs can trigger can trigger that. And uh, yeah. then there's a, an involuntary response where um, we're going to call it here the subconscious we're gonna, uh, or the feminine mind. In, in metaphysics, it's called the feminine mind, takes over. And um, in your particular case, causing you to to lose consciousness. So obviously, there's there's some kind of a, a trigger that you your mind doesn't want to go towards, and the losing of consciousness allows you to completely uh, disconnect from it. So, okay, so we know that. Now, let's take a step back, and before we talk more about PTSD, I want to talk a little bit about your mind. Everyone's mind is different, and I'm going to ask you a series of questions that's going to allow me to attempt and determine the polarity, the electromagnetic polarity of your mind. In metaphysics, we have the concept of electromagnetic polarity. You can think of the mind like a magnet. Only one side of the magnet control your, controls your body at any given point, either the positive side or the negative side. When the positive side is in control, you have a situation where your mind is directive, your mind is logical, your mind is rational. When the, neg when the negative side is in control, your mind is receptive, your mind uh, um, is involuntary. And some people are usually ruled and dominated by their masculine, by their positive polarity of their mind, and some people are normally dominated by the feminine polarity of the mind. And we give them names. Uh, those who are ruled by the positive polarity, or we call them smarties, they're usually people who are very much in their head, very logical, very just thinkers. They view life from the storyteller perspective. And people who are ruled by the negative polarity of the mind, by the receptive mind, are called wisees. And they're usually people who are just living the story, very present with the experience. Um, and uh, there is uh, significant differences between smarties and wisees in terms of how they remember things which is obviously related directly to PTSD, uh, in the way they use language. 
and in many, many other factors. So let's dive in to your mind. First, remind me of your approximate age. Uh, my approximate age is between 25 and 30, let's say. Okay. Um, I want you to think of an apple. Can you see the apple in your mind's eye? Yeah. Is it vivid? Very. Very vivid. Can you see the blemishes next to the stem, to that level of vividness? Can you see different yeah. shades? Okay. Is it three-dimensional? Absolutely. Can you turn it? I could. Can you split it in half? Okay, so now you have two halves of the apple in your mind. Yes. Okay. Now, when I said, uh, can you see the blemishes by the stem? Um, I mean, obviously, I, I just gave an example. But when I said that, did you immediately see blemishes on the stem? Or were there blemishes all over the apple? And you just took that as a figure of speech and said yes. So when I first imagined the apple, I imagined it as uh, an, a red apple, but with a blemish right in the center, up on top, right by um, the stem. And, that, and then when you mentioned uh, the blemish, it was a natural answer because it was honest, because when I first envisioned the apple, there was that single blemish on top. Got it. Now, would you say that that apple that you saw in your mind's eye looks like a real apple as if you saw it on TV, or does it look more like uh, a drawing of an apple? I would say it was almost like a 3D model. Like a 3D model. So there's flatness to it compared to an actual apple? It was like, like hyper-realistic, but at the same time almost artificial. Artificially so, in its realism. I see. So more like uh, if it's on, in a graphics program. Yeah, like if you took a perfect model of an apple and you could be able to rotate it and manipulate it almost like in virtual reality, that would basically be how I would describe it almost. I see. Okay, that, that helps a lot. Um, now, what's the background? Is it floating on a, 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 a black or white background? Uh, it was black. Okay. Um Now, I want you to think of a song you like. You, uh, before we started the podcast, you were, you know, we were doing a sound test and you, you sang a song. If you think of the song you like, can you hear it in your mind's ear? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Uh, I see you're smiling and saying absolutely. Um, now, can you hear the harmony or only the melody? And let me explain what I ask, even if you know what I mean. I want to explain it to the listeners. A melody is a flat, single track of a particular uh, vocal um, experience. So usually it's vocals, right? The melody. So if I think of uh, Amy Winehouse Rehab, then I hear, they try to make me go to rehab. I said, no, 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 right? But I, I, can, I can also hear rehab without the lyrics, but I only hear the melody, the <laughs> right? 
but I can't hear the harmony. That is, I can't separate between the drums and uh, if there's a guitar or there's a whatever other instruments, I can't separate that in my mind to specific tracks. That is, I only hear the melody, but not the harmony. Which one would you say uh, your mind remembers? So I have to say, and this is something that I've always had because music has always been something that's been a natural for me, even though I really, unfortunately, haven't uh, drawn out my full potential on that. But I find myself always listening to songs in my head. Um, and that's including, like, I was one of my favorite songs by, uh, by Frank Sinatra, uh, Fly Me to the Moon. And when I hear that, I can hear, like, I can hear the drums going, but at the same time, there's the, there's the flute, and then there's the bass line underneath, and then there's his voice. And you can hear that all together, and it's just like, you hear that symphony. Can you separate? Can you add a track? If you listen to Fly Me to the Moon, and you, can you add uh, a particular instrument on top? Um, probably could if I tried. Hmm. Something interesting. The second we start thinking about the way we think, we start thinking differently. Um, we say that at Consciousness Research Institute all the time. So I'll give you a second to try. Yeah, right now I'm trying to add a trumpet to it onto the main part of the uh, chorus. It's, uh, it's not exactly great sounding, but it, it works. Okay. Like a uh, could you uh, separate the vocals from uh, one of the instruments that is only hear the vocals? Yeah, I think I can. Um, can you raise, uh, increase and decrease the volume in your mind? Um, I try. Um, of different parts, usually I can. But when I'm listening to everything at once, it's difficult to make something higher than the other without just singling that thing out at once. You know what I mean? Um, like, like what, what I'm trying to say is if I'm listening to a song in my head, I can listen to the vocal track and I can make it louder or softer. But if I'm listening to everything all at once, I can't like make the, the voice softer and hear the music more. I would just basically hear that like, the, the voice would be drowned out and I would hear more of the background. Got it. So I see. So there's a separation, but you're saying it's not like I have, um, uh, I have a preamp here that I can literally like play with each and every every track. It's not that distinct, but there's a level of play that you can do. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Um, now, it might it might be weird that I'm asking you all these questions, but. Uh, you know, after interviewing over probably 300 people um, over the past few years, I can tell you that every mind's different. And, you know, we kind of assume that everyone's the same, but it's not necessarily true. For example, I'll just give you a little bit of a point of comparison. Um, I think I mentioned to you before that I'm, I'm a phantasiac, so I don't see an apple. I'm blind in my mind's eye. I can think of an apple, I can feel it, almost as if you were in a completely dark room and there was an apple right by your face so you know it's there but you can't see it and I can do whatever I want with it I can split it in half but I won't see the apple split in half I'll just know there's a knowing that it's split in half because every image that comes into your mind is really not just an image it's also a sensation 
if you think of an image from World War II, boom, you know, there's a particular sensation that comes with it immediately. And that's the thing. When we look at a picture, we immediately know something. When you see your boss uh, walking in the street on the day where you called in sick, you don't need to think about the fact that it's your boss and that you called in sick in order to feel, oh my God, you know, he's going to see me here. And you immediately feel the impact, right? And it's the same thing in our mind's eye. People who see imagery, they they usually think of the imagery as the tangible, concrete thing that they, you know, the involuntary thought that is forming, let's call it imagination, intuitive imagination. But in reality, it's coupled with a particular sensation, a particular emotion, a particular uh, knowing that comes with it. I have the knowing, but no image, okay? There's about 5 to 6% of the population that are aphantasiacs, that is blind in their mind's eye. Um, and so the same with sound. Everyone's different. For example, I only hear a melody, but no harmony. I can't separate anything. I can only hear one thing. And it's always in the same distant volume, almost like the last very silent um, wave of an echo. And yet it can trump anything else. I could be in the most noisiest play of places and yet I could still hear what's happening in my mind's ear. So I'm just kind of giving you this information so that you'll have the understanding and the idea and the, 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 the mental um, um, grasping that everyone's different. And so these questions are actually telling me something. Let's talk about your time perception. How would you say your time perception is? Are we talking right now or are we talking about when I'm under the influence of cannabis versus when I'm not? Um, let's first define how you are right now. Are you altered right now? Um, I am altered, um, though mildly. I've, I've started recently taking um, breaks over the course of the day to try to uh, reduce my usage. Um, but yeah, I, had, I've finished, uh, a long, a long day of work. Um, so I, uh, medicated a little while ago. Do you know if it's sativa or indica? It is. It's actually a mix. Um, it's, uh, um, there's a Gorilla Glue, um, with some mango, which is a CBD, um, a CBD AC balanced sativa dominant, um, and then there is a little bit of Alaska, which is a sativa, sativa dominant um, high THC. Okay, so you're altered with a sativa dominant. Gorilla Glue is pretty high sativa. I would say it's uh, probably a, at least a 2080, if not a 1090, but you're saying it's meek with mango, which I'm not familiar with. And then it's... So uh, mango it's, is being done by Tikkun Olam. Um, which is their, it's like, it's basically their balanced CBD strain, which means it's a sativa, but it has about 8% uh, THC and between 8 to 10% CBD. Um, so because I have these high, high THC sativas to balance that out, I have a bit of TH, uh, CBD. So did you smoke two strains separately? Or did you smoke a mix of, those, of these two strains that is essentially a third strain? I just I ground them all up together into uh, one grinder and uh, just uh, mixed it together into a mix. 
got it. Gorilla Glue. Um, that, okay, sounds good. Now, I'm going to put something out there for you to test over the, over the next week or so, uh, at least until the next time we talk. For many people, the imagery in the mind's eye changes when we smoke marijuana, when we're altered. For example, a lot of wisees who are extremely visual in their mind's eye, um, usually very vivid. I'm talking when I say vivid, I don't mean like a, a computer software, sort of like you described, but sort of see imagery in their mind's eye as if it's daytime, uh, literally as if they're watching a movie. Completely yeah. clear. Um, a lot of people who are like that, when they smoke a high sativa, they stop seeing imagery in their mind's eye or the imagery is significantly reduced. Some people cannot hear their inner dialogue. You know how like when we think we can hear an inner dialogue in our mind's ear type of thing? Is this it, Does that ring a bell? Some people can't, but I'm assuming you can. Yeah. Because, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Um, inner dialogue? Yeah, there you go. I mean, it's basically, I, I, w- I, w- I would guess to venture that this is kind of how you think and that the imagery that is forming in your mind's eye is responsive and receptive to the inner dialogue. That is, the inner dialogue is ruling the thought and using the imagination that is to create imagery in your mind's eye in response to what you think about. Would you say that that's an accurate statement? I would say that is painfully accurate. Painfully accurate. Okay. I repeat sometimes what you say just because um, the sound of the call from Israel is a little muffled. So, I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. Uh, We'll we'll improve it in the weeks to come somehow. We'll figure it out. Maybe there's you'll find a little ten dollar microphone or something to connect. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, What happens is the the sound uh, weaves in and out. And so sometimes I can barely hear you and sometimes it's just jumps. And there's things I can do later um, on the, um, you know, on the compressor and, you know, with all the machinery in order to kind of fix it. But I want to uh, just put it out there. Um, and also for the listeners to know that I'm aware of of this, that we're aware of this and we'll, we'll work towards uh, having better sound. Let's go back to the perception of time. So actually, before yeah. we go back to that, the second thing I want you to pay attention is what happens to the inner dialogue as you smoke marijuana. Now, for most people, I'll just give you the late, the um, the information I have from my research. For most people, and there's always exceptions in metaphysics because everyone's mind is different and the experience is always a standard deviation, so there's always exceptions. But most people... When they smoke sativa, the inner dialogue increases. In fact, I specifically know of quite a few people who are deaf in their mind's ear. What does it mean to be deaf in your mind's ear? It means that generally you don't hear your inner dialogue. You literally don't hear it. You don't hear yourself thinking. And it has to do with your perception of time, and there's a reason for that. But when these people smoke high sativa, they can suddenly hear their inner dialogue. They don't think much of it. It's just what it is. Um, and they actually don't pay attention. But when I ask them, then they're like, oh, yeah, I can I can hear my thoughts now. Um, and that, of course, has to do with their slow down perception of time. Because in order to hear our thoughts, uh, our perception of time needs to be slower than time itself. But that's just an anecdotal thing. I don't know if that made sense to you right now or not. Um, 
but it's something to think about. So as you smoke, I want you to think of, I literally want you to think about thinking. I want you to start paying attention. What does sativa do to your mind's eye? What does sativa do to your mind's ear? What does indigo do to your mind's eye? What does indigo do to your mind's ear? Most people who smoke indigo, heavy indigo, can no longer think about thinking, even if they're smarties. Smarties in general can think about thinking even when they're not altered, just be, just because of the way their mind works. It has to do, again, with their time perception. So let's go to your actual time perception. I would ask very specific questions. You're in the middle of the day. It's just, you know, an average day sometime in the afternoon. If someone asks you, hey, what do you think the time is? Uh, how accurate will you be or not? I'm usually pretty accurate when it comes to telling time. <clears throat> um, in the middle, like in general, unaltered, I'm pretty good at telling the time, just if I'm randomly asked. Okay. And uh, would you say within a what, like a half an hour interval type of thing? Within about usually in half an hour to an hour. I'm usually in that area. Okay, but not 10 minutes. I can, there are times when I'm right on the money and I can say it's two o'clock and it's like 201. Um, but I think more, it, it happens more in the afternoon, less so in the evening and uh, in the morning. So would you say that your ability to tell time is influenced by light in some way, shape or form? Either light or the time of day. Yeah, I guess they, I would say that. Okay. Um, what about knowing how long it has been? If you had to guess, and I don't know if you have a timer, if you do, please tell me, but if you don't, what would you guess? How long have we been speaking? Uh, I don't have a timer, but I would say all in all, we've probably been talking for around 20 minutes. 35. So almost double. Um Okay. And so that tells me that your time perception now is you perceive it's time slow. to go slower than uh, than it really is. And that makes perfect sense because you've smoked sativa. So that tells us something yeah. about your, your perception of time. Okay. Do you have a clock? Do you have a watch that you wear? Uh, I do. In general, yes. And do you look at it often? Um, when I use it, yeah. Absolutely. All okay. the time. Okay. So... Um, you you don't really have it sounds like you don't really have uh, anecdotal information that can tell us if you didn't have a watch how well would you be perceiving time because you could be looking at your watch without even noticing mm. well i just recently started wearing my watch and it only is usually when i go to work um specifically into the office um so in general i don't wear it everywhere because it's, it's a smart watch um, so for many places, it just isn't, uh, proper. Got it. The right place. Got it. Okay. Um, let's move to memory. So memory is really key because there's a significant difference between smarties and wises in terms of how they remember things. I will describe, uh, two ways to remember something, uh, two uh, very specific anchors of memory. And I want you to tell you which one is you. Um, some people remember everything on a timeline. That is, for everything they remember, it has to be before or after something else. 
If the particular event or person is not placed in time, they're not going to be able to remember it. It's almost like they see a particular timeline in their mind and they, they remember reality based on that particular timeline. Other people remember things contextually and logically, but not anchored in time. So, for example, I might remember um, all the vacations I took, but it's going to be very hard for me to place uh, the, uh, the cruise I once took with a girlfriend on a particular year. I was like, oh, fuck, well, I know it was with that particular girlfriend, so now I have to kind of rebuild what years I was dating that girlfriend, and even the first year I was dating her, I have to kind of come up with it because it was probably, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, so on and so forth. Um, and so these people usually remember things as contextual trees of thought, but the anchor is not time. It's um, I'm not going to say what it is because usually it's hidden um, and I don't want to throw you off, but how, which type of uh, memory anchor would you say is more accurate for your mind? I'm honestly not totally sure. Um, I think it's um, I think it's more uh, on a timeline. Because I think I can I can recall I can think of back to it like a year. Like I was trying it as you we were talking just to a specific year, and I can think about everything that happened during that year. Um, Do you remember what you did in the summer of two thousand six? Yeah. What did you do? I, it was my first trip to Israel. Um, it was right as the Lebanon war was uh, starting. I was landing in Israel. Do you remember what you did in the fall of 2014? Yeah, I left the army. Okay. Now, these, these two events are a pretty major event in your life. Um, and so they're associated, but still you were pretty fast. Can you describe what happened in your mind when I asked you these two questions? Did you see something in your mind's eye? How did you come up with the information? Um, I just saw a flash of the event. Like I, I went to the, I went to the year and I went to that time of year and just my mind flashed on the major event that happened at that time. Got it. Um, when you say my mind flashed, was it literally an imagery? Was it literally what? Was it literally an image? Uh, yeah, it was a flash of an image. Like when you asked, um, like 2006, I flashed on uh, looking at um, the TV as we saw the invasion tanks going over the border into Lebanon. Uh, and when you asked 2014 in November, I flashed on the Shin Gimel of my base and having cut my whole gear right there and doing a handstand. <laughs> nice. Now, these memories, were they also sort of like a computer program, very structured, or were they more vivid like, like an actual video? Um, more structured. There was more flashes. There was, there was not much of a video. Um, but there are times when I can recall certain memories and it is more of a video than... Uh, Stochastic computerized sort of flash. Can you can you indicate how it's different? Um, some people, for example, when they see uh, something that is uh, realistic, let's call it realistic, 
they can only see it as a picture, but not as a movie, uh, not as a moving memory, and vice versa. Um, can you somehow detect a pattern of where you see something realistically and where you see it more uh, flat, more, um, let's call it, uh, how are we going to call it, more um, clinical, <laughs> with, a last, with a lack of a better term? Oh, that's a very, very, very good question. Um, can you rephrase the question? I'm not exactly sure if I understood. So you describe that usually your imagery in your mind's eye is not quite realistic, but more flat. There is a, there's a particular flatness and a, an artificial sense to it, almost like a computer software of sort. And yet you say that sometimes you have memories that are realistic, that are almost like a video, like a real image. Absolutely. And I guess what I'm asking is if you can think of a pattern, maybe it's something to also reflect in the future of a pattern of when, when do you, you see something realistically in your mind's eye versus where you see it more flat? Well, I think when dealing with like the recollection of a direct memory uh, or the attempt at trying to bring up a memory, I think it's more of a, 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 a it's not a picture. It's, it's more of um, like if it, yeah, it's it's a more of a video, um, and I think when you oh, when you ask specific dates, like when you ask for like fall two thousand fourteen or uh, summer two thousand and six, those were specific like images. It's almost like if you ever see a movie where they in the beginning credits and they they like, they close up on some sort of image and then in from that image it. Uh, transitions already into the prop or the area, the backdrop of the, of the opening scene of the movie. So it's almost like that. Like when you ask, so I, I, I focus in and hone in on that image. And then from that image, I see the rest of what was going on in that moment in time. I see. I see. So it's more of an image rather than a video, sounds like. It's, it, it's both. It's, I think it's both. I think it depends on the, the, the what, what I'm doing. If I'm just thinking or... If, if you're asking me to uh, imagine an apple, then it is more clinical, more computerized. But if we're talking about specific memory, um, then it, it, it is real, but it's also very much can be either a flash or it can be an extended uh, memory of a certain event. Can you think of a memory right now, uh, just dictate it yourself, like uh, come up with a memory and literally see it as a video? Anything. Yeah. What What did your mind choose? Um, well, first it flashed to uh, an unpleasant memory uh, of an ex-girlfriend just to see if I could do it. And uh, then I went to something more positive and went to uh, um, like rock climbing in Utah uh, in uh, Zion National Park. Just trying to imagine in my mind's eye and, and replay those climbs. And then, and then that was pretty vivid, sort of like a video. Yeah. When, when, um, I mean, if I really think about it, then it becomes a video. But if I'm just thinking about it, like without really, really focusing on it, then it's only flashes of pictures of certain like areas of the memory. Got it. Okay. So, um, got it. So there's more like a, a general knowing, and the the imagery is sort of complementary. But when you're really focusing on the memory, then it starts forming into an actual moving 
imagery in your mind's eye, some kind of a, okay. Yeah. I see. Okay. Well, that's, let's, let's let memory go now that we have that information. Um, can you stop thinking when you're me- trying to meditate? Is stopping your mind from thinking something that is possible for you to do? Or does it seem like, you know, a myth? Um, there are certain times when I'm able to get into that almost trance-like state where um, you're beneath the level of conscious thought. Um, not where I'm completely entranced or in, in, into my own um, self-awareness, but beyond just the, the realm of um, ha- always having thoughts in my brain and not being able to isolate myself. So there are times um, when, I iso- when I, I'm able to isolate myself so for a very short period, but I find that when I uh, am, when I'm distracted from that uh, area of thinking, um, it's very jarring coming back to any other way of thinking or a lesser, I would say, uh, realm of thinking. Uh, it, it, it's almost like it's almost like a panic. Uh, I find myself if I'm if I come back too much, it's usually some sort of bad memory that triggers it, um, but it, it brings me back with a jerk. Mm, I see. Okay. Um... Two, two more questions, and then we'll talk a little bit about, about the way your mind works. So how, how are you with decision-making? Are we talking where to eat, or are we talking life choices? Ah, so now you've distinguished uh, between the, the, the two uh, very specific types of decisions and thoughts uh, that metaphysics tell us that exist, which are concrete or abstract. So uh, tell me how you are with concrete decisions, like where to eat or what to do, and how you are with abstract decisions about life. Um, I would say that I struggle more with the abstract, and I am, um, and with with, um, the concrete ones, I'm more able to to act um, when I want to even keel. But even then, when I'm not, when I'm off balance, I find that even that can be sometimes challenging. Are you also a pretty quick decision maker on concrete things, even if they're long term? Or is it harder if it's long term? I think that I can even be, I think from uh, a basis of fear, it can lead me sometimes to make more abstract abstract decisions um, more quickly than I should, I would say even. Um, like in terms of jobs, um, like I, I've recently been able to um, combine several part-time jobs to create a, a, a livable wage. Um, but at the same time, I just got three different job offers for three excellent jobs. And I, I'm not sure what to do in that case. Um, so yeah so it's i sometimes rush into things seeking i wouldn't say instant gratification but seeking an instant solution um and sometimes even if the instant solution is a viable one uh, there are better ones that i missed would you say you're ruled by anxiety or by anger anxiety definitely not anger anger is something that i i purposefully 
try to eliminate from my brain as much as possible. Well, we only purpose, purposefully try to eliminate something if it actually exists. Would you say that it exists, but you're shunning away from it? Why? Well, why do you say that? No, I think I just I very much dislike um, anger. I just I'm not in. I just I just like feeling it. Um, it just it doesn't do good for me. It does. It it just makes me feel very ill. Um, and I just so I try to through I guess either constant meditation or just aware self awareness. Uh, like I may get annoyed, I'm, um, but they're only I, I can only count maybe on one hand the times I've been angry in the last couple of years. Mm, okay. Um, okay. Well, intuitively, what do you think, John? Are you a smarty or a wisey? Honestly, I think I'm more of a smarty. Um, I'm definitely, my brain is way super hyperactive. Um, and and definitely, I a lot of the time, I'm just constantly in my head thinking through everything, um, even when there may not even be a reason to. Um, so yeah, I, I would see myself, I think, as a smarty. Um, but uh, I come at it as more of an intellectual. Um, I wouldn't, uh, yeah, I wouldn't see myself as very wise or wisey. I think that uh, it's a common thing around smarties that we want to say we're wisies, but we know we're smarties. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Um, based on all the answers you've given me, I, I would definitely categorize you as a smarty as well. And I want to reemphasize here that everybody's both. Right, I mean, we're zachav and kivah baraltam. You know, we're all we're all both have the masculine and the feminine mind. It really has to do with our perception of time and which mind is more dominant in particular times that dictate whether we're smarty or wisey. The biggest difference between a smarty and a wisey in the way we process language. Smarties are very abstract. They're thinking about life from an abstract perspective. Uh, the fact that you were able to analyze you know, uh, your patterns of behavior and then the words that you were using um, tell me that you're an abstract thinker. Um, and uh, just, you know, kind of listening to the words and having you analyze the way you listen in your mind's ear and the way you see in your mind's eye um, and the your ability to understand what I mean when I ask these type of questions um, told me a lot about the way your mind works. Now, what I want to do today, and that will be uh, probably enough for today, and then we'll talk a little bit about PTSD and uh, about you know uh, things that you can do in the next week uh, until the next time we speak. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how to distinguish between the two minds. We perceive reality with two minds, not one. Now, in reality, it's one mind. A mind is an abstract concept. It's a collection of cerebral functions that... Uh, we, we give it a particular name, and the, these cerebral functions can be categorized and grouped in a particular way. Now, because the mind is electromagnetic, and because everything that is electromagnetic, like a magnet, uh, there's a positive side and a negative side, we say that we really perceive reality with two minds. And the reason why it's so important is because these two minds do not communicate with each other, and not only they function differently... They also serve different functions. Did that last phrase make sense to you? Um, not, 
I'm not totally sure about it. When I say that they function differently, that means that their their mechanism is different. The mechanism with which they create some kind of a mental perception or a thought is completely different, but they also have a different function. That is, the, the function that they provide to our mental awareness of reality is also different. So not only they differ in the mechanism with which they function, they differ in the function with which they provide. Did that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Now, the only way these two minds connect is with language, with our understanding of language. And um, that connection is reflected in our physical reality through the hippocampus, uh, and so, um, which is also responsible for memory. So memory is very closely entwined with the idea of the two minds. And what I want to do is I want to give you uh, a few tips to h- how you can actually start detecting the difference between your two minds in your own mind as you go on a day-to-day basis, but also as you use marijuana and kind of start noticing a pattern and detecting a pattern, and since you're smarty, you're natural at detecting patterns, and you're you're nodding right now, so I'm, I'm just kind of uh, articulating that for the listeners. Um, because you're smarty, you, you'll be able to detect this pattern, and so I want to give you sort of the, the rules of thumb in order to uh, pay attention to which mind creates what in your mind. Because your, your knowing, your your mental perception of reality, your conscious perception of reality is an amalgamation of these two minds. And they're usually very, very mixed. And so it's very hard for us to distinguish between them. But there's a significant difference between the output of the masculine mind and the output of the feminine mind. In Kabbalah, the masculine mind is called Abba and the feminine mind is called Ima, mother and father. And there's multiple names for these two minds. In Chinese philosophy, they're called yin and yang, and um, or yan and ying, shall we say. Um, and in, uh, I mean, in tarot, they're called the emperor and the empress, um, and so on and so forth. So how do we tell between our two minds? When you were talking before about memory, and I asked you all these questions about how you retrieve things from memory, you were talking about... And I say, oh, think about something and see if you if it's you see this as an imagery or as a movie. And you say, well, the first memory that came to mind was an unpleasant memory of an old girlfriend. And notice that you did not choose what memory to bring up. It just came to you. That is, it was involuntary. Everything that is involuntary is produced by the feminine mind. And notice that everything that is involuntary is also instantaneous in time. When you get that memory, you get it instantaneously. A second later, it's a different memory. It might change, it might progress from that previous memory. But when you receive it involuntarily, it's extremely, I mean, it's it's not under your control and it's always present in time. You receive it all at once. So far, so good? Yeah. Okay. Now, when you're thinking using your masculine mind, I no longer call it uh, an involuntary mental perception or imagination, intuitive imagination. If you go to the dictionary, you'll see that intuition is defined as something that happens instantaneously. But when when we talk about uh, when we talk about thoughts, 
thoughts are sequential in time. Let's say you say, oh, well, let me see. Am I really thinking in uh, uh, in an imagery or am I thinking as a video? Um, ooh, and um, let me go say hi to my girlfriend because she just came in and I want to say hi to her. Your mind is kind of bothered by the fact that you didn't say hi and you really want to say hi and we want to make sure she's good. These thoughts are always progressional in time, sort of like music. You can't listen to a song a three-minute song in one second. It's an impossibility. Auditory information, the inner dialogue that we have in our mind's ear, is always progressive when it comes to time. So far, so good? Yeah, I'm starting to understand some stuff, yeah. What do you, what do you start to understand? Articulate it to me. Um, um, no, it's just... It's, um, it's starting to make sense how some of my strings of thought become uh, where they originate from, the different halves of the of the mind, and like trying to separate that out it makes more sense now. Excellent. Uh, I'm happy it makes more sense because what I just told you is the basis for the mechanism of the mind. The mind is actually really simple. The brain is the most complex organ in the body, but the mind is not that difficult to understand. And once we see it, it's sort of like a Morpheus's red pill. There's no way back. You kind of see it and you start realizing. And once you start thinking about thinking, you start realizing that you are the one that's creating your entire experience. So for example, there could be an involuntary image that comes to you. And based on that, you start having... And because you're a smarty, that's probably what, what happens usually for someone like you. Because of that involuntary image that came to your mind's eye or that involuntary sound, maybe a song is playing in your mind's ear, but usually it's imagery or something like that. Your mind goes on a voluntary thought uh, sequence and you, you might find yourself thinking about it for five minutes before you're like, oh, wow, why was I thinking about that? Oh, right, because that imagery came to me. And so, in general, smarties, I'm saying smarties because wisees have a harder time thinking about thinking, and that has to do with their perception of time, but um, smarties can usually track every string of thought, every branch of thought. I, I, use, I use a tree to describe the way the mind works, right? Especially for smarties. When we have a particular trunk of thought, a particular topic, the topic of our conversation today is how the mind works and uh, how does PTSD relate to the mechanism of the mind. And then we have these branches. So every time you go off a branch, you can train yourself to ask yourself, how did I get off this branch? And you can ask yourself, was it because of a voluntary thought or an involuntary thought? And if it's a voluntary thought, usually the voluntary thought would just run with it and then it branches off and branches off. But usually there's something that triggers and usually it's either an external sensation, that is you saw something, you heard something, someone said something, your girlfriend just came in the house, uh, Erez just said something, or it's a um, some kind of an involuntary thought that your mind created, that your feminine mind created, and based on that you just go off in, you know, your voluntary thought stream just races. Now I'm telling you all this so that you'll pay attention to a few things. The first thing I want you to pay attention as you go in the next few days is just think about thinking. 
And notice what controls your mind more, the voluntary or the involuntary thoughts. Now, we already know you're a smarty. And so most likely you're, you know, I think it's kind of obvious and you can probably reflect back and tell me that your voluntary thought stream is the one in control. Um, you're somewhat nodding. Is that, would you say that that's accurate? Um, yeah, a lot of it, like there, there are a lot of involuntary thoughts that are the triggers um, a lot of the time, but um, a lot of it, there are a lot of the progressional thought streams that uh, get to different places. So, yeah, excellent. So uh, spending a little time to realize if you spend more time with your voluntary thought stream or your involuntary thoughts is really, really good because it's a good head start to say, oh, now I know which mind is in control. Some people, and I just want, again, give that point of comparison because someone can listen to this podcast now and say, well, what are you talking about? Like it's, uh, uh, you know, of course the voluntary thought stream is the one in control because that's the one in control. But it's not necessarily true. For a lot of people, the involuntary thought stream, or should we say mental perceptions, are the one in control. A lot of people just literally are ruled by their involuntary mind. And, uh, you know, we call them YZs. And when you're ruled by the involuntary mind, the voluntary mind, the masculine, rational, sequential, algorithmic mind becomes submissive. And that's a wonderful way to think, too. It's not a less than or a, uh, um, you know, uh, um, it's not a less valuable way to think. Uh, a lot of these people are consider themselves extremely high, very fast thinkers because they go through imagery so fast and the logical thought is only uh, coming in in, in in bits and pieces. You don't need a lot of logic uh, when you're managing your thoughts with imagery. And so a lot of people just use their imagination all the time and, you know, kind of think using the imagination and sort of uh, dip into the uh, rational mind. The, the voluntary thoughts just kind of like pops in to arrange that information in a particular way. Um, usually these thoughts will be very concrete because you cannot think of an abstract term. If I tell you, hey, imagine fairness. Can you think of fairness in your mind's eye? What do you see? Uh, a scale of justice, actually. So you saw a scale. A scale is a scale of justice is a concrete object that symbolizes metaphorically or figuratively symbolizes the concept of fairness. But it's, do you see what I mean? It's like you ask 10, yeah. 10 people to think about fairness, you'll get 10 different answers or sometimes 20. And so paying attention to how your mind works in that way is critical. Now, let's tie to marijuana and let's tie to PTSD and we'll wrap it. Uh, we'll wrap at that because that's a lot of information to think about. Marijuana usually, and again, there's always exceptions, and it has to do with your uh, what's called the birth polarity, sort of the point of origin, right? Everybody's is being birthed in a particular place on the planet, and everybody dies in a particular place on the planet. There's only one place you're being birthed on the planet. You can't be birthed in two places. And so the same way, the amount of light with which we used to think is different from every individual infinitely. And so... Um, when it comes to marijuana, usually sativa will increase the inner dialogue and reduce the imagery. And even if it doesn't reduce the imagery, 
the imagery becomes submissive to the inner dialogue. That is, the feminine mind becomes submissive to the masculine mind. So some, the more smarty you are and the more sativa you smoke, the more you're racing your voluntary thought stream and the more you're making your imagination submissive to that. Okay? The, okay you're you're not even does, does that yeah. does that resonate in terms of your experience yeah i think so my experience is david definitely it's kind of hard to go backwards right because we we can't hold more than one state of consciousness at once and there's a lot of information yeah. here but as you smoke over the next week pay attention now indica what happens with indica you know most people indica takes them to the body why? Because it, it gets them to be, instead of being present with thought, it gets them to be present with actual sensation. What happens is that the perception of time changes. We become more present in the moment. When we're present in the moment, all we perceive in our mind is the actual sensation of the experience that we're going through. For you to be present in a thought, you have to be detached from experience. This is why people, it's like, you know, you... You, you're at the Niagara Falls and instead of being present in the in, in nature, you're thinking about like, oh, I wish uh, so-so was here or I wish this was, was happening and let me get my camera out. You're thinking about the experience instead of experiencing it. That's the difference, okay? And, and so when it comes to marijuana, usually, normally, people who smoke indica will be present in the experience Therefore, what happens, the involuntary mind, the feminine mind takes over, and the voluntary mind becomes submissive in order to achieve whatever needs to be achieved in that moment um, as a part of the experience. So, for example, maybe you're, um, maybe you're helping somebody build some, something. Your voluntary mind, your masculine mind, your logical mind will only be used as you need to think about something logically in order to make the task happen. But otherwise, you're extremely engaged in the task, you're extremely present in the experience. And I suspect that's what happens when you're going, you described before, going like sub-thought and you're, you're getting into that point where you're meditative and thinking about, not thinking really about anything and uh, becoming more in the experience, more in your body. Now, how do we tie all that to PTSD? You mentioned last time, and I kind of repeated in the beginning of this conversation, that uh, when it comes to PTSD, you hear sounds. You're very auditory, obviously. You were talking about music before, and you, you're saying, that, oh yeah, inner dialogue, this is my thing, right? And so there's really two types of PTSD and everything in between, and everybody's capable of both. But usually from interviews and from questions that I've asked people, usually people will um, default to either sounds or images. Sometimes they'll be mixed because sometimes the experience mixed them, but usually one will be more traumatic than another. Now you describe the situation where you faint when you hear the sounds of fireworks. And so... Everything that you've said makes me believe, but I don't know if that's true, that's only for you to discern, that it is your auditory experience that is has been more traumatic rather than the imagery itself. 
And I want to ask you, what do you think is more of a trigger for your PTSD? Sounds or imagery? Very, a very difficult question. I'd say it, I think it depends on the, the, the trauma. <clears throat> I think if we're talking about the army, I think it's more directed uh, at um, uh, auditory. Um, although the visual, the visual scene of seeing the fireworks also plays a very large role in it. Um, but the other things that it's more. Um, I don't know how to explain the the rest of it, how it's how it's triggered. Um, it's more just constant. Hmm. I want you to also I'm just going to plant another seed of thought. Also distinguish between the external auditory or the external imagery versus the internal. What happens in your mind's eye? What happens in your mind's ear? So um, next time you experience. It's very hard to think about thinking when you're thinking when you're having a PTSD that is a some kind of PTSD if really we think about it is really a panic attack, right? Um, it's the particular memory that is triggering panic. And to think about thinking in that moment is very hard and yet we're capable because our mind races so fast so we can have uh, these flickers of thought. But it'll be interested interesting to know what happens in your mind's eye. And what happens in your mind's ear as you're experiencing symptoms of PTSD? Does, does that make sense? Yeah, it's fascinating. I'm, I'm interested to see what the result will be. Yeah. Um, so what I'm trying to do is to give you tools to go towards a particular destination. And here's the destination. At the end of the day, John, there is a particular trigger, a particular moment in time that the psyche couldn't handle. Now, it's either because there was a sense of guilt or a sense of horror or a sense of um, a sense of uh, uh, it could be any emotion, really. Could even be a sense of uh, of anger. You were saying before that you you're not really an angry person, and maybe uh, when we're and I'm talking specifically about the army, right? Or uh, maybe in your childhood you were you were saying to me, and last I interviewed you that you were abused as a kid by other kids, and maybe in that moment there is a particular expression. It could be of anger that is consuming, and because we don't want to be angry the body shuts off, we faint, okay? So my point is, the emotion, the particular emotion that is being triggered is a very specific emotion, and it relates to a very specific moment in time in which the experience took place. The problem is that in order to figure it out, and in order to digest it, and in order to heal it, we actually need to experience it and we actually need to speak about it. It is with words, it, with the expression of words, that we heal it. Because it's like uh, me, take, I'm um, going through a divorce right now. Now, it's actually an, an amicable divorce and my wife is my best friend and we just kind of got to this point where we realized that it's better to be friends than divorcing, uh, than staying married. But 
of course, it wasn't, you know, it was an extremely painful process to get to this point. And I found myself that even to say these words that I just told you that I'm getting and going through a divorce, it took me months to just being able to say it. And so we're all capable of the entire gamut of emotions. And we haven't talked about emotion and I'm not going to go into it now, but there's actually a structure and a mechanism to emotions. And there's a way to detect which emotion is the one that's taking over um, in when we experience the symptoms. So what I want to do is, uh, and that's the last um, uh, nugget I'm going to leave you with to think about. I want you to detach from all these terms that were given to you by, by the doctors. The, the idea of PTSD, the idea of a trauma, the idea of, of uh, you know, whatever other uh, diagnosis that you were given. And just realize that we're talking about a particular, very specific emotion that is usually something that we don't want to experience. And it could be even an emotion we think we're not capable of. For example, somebody could have rage. Somebody who's never angry, the nicest person in the world, suddenly feel the desire to kill or to, to, to oh my God, you know, like I, I, you know, I did something and I actually liked it. And it could be anything, or it could be a tremendous sense of guilt, okay? Or a particular, uh, a particular uh, whatever it is, it's one very specific emotion. Now, it could be accompanied with many others, but usually it's that one emotion that's going to cause us to run away, that's going to cause us to, to, um, to have this anxiety, this sense of the mind racing and I can't handle this and I need, you know, I, I, I just need to, to calm down somehow. And by recognizing the emotion and by speaking it in words, there's a processing that takes place and we can, it's easier. It's easier for me to now speak about divorce. I felt so much shame about the fact that my marriage didn't work out. I felt so much disappointment I felt so much this, so much that. And as I speak about each and every one, it gets easier and easier and less traumatic. Um, marijuana can help you not only not feel it, but can also help you feel it. This is why marijuana can cause anxiety, but can also alleviate it. If you were to smoke marijuana with the intention because when we said intention before we smoke, we're essentially telling the subconscious, the feminine mind, what kind of memories we want to trigger, what, what kind of uh, intuition, intuitive imagination we want to trigger. Because how does she decide what to give us? Well, there's a secret. We can tell her. She must obey her husband. She must obey the masculine mind. And so when we smoke with an intention you know, uh, we can actually go back in time and we can go back to an experience. Now, this is not something that someone with PTSD necessarily wants to do because what's the point? The whole idea is that we want to escape that anxiety. But I'm saying that in order to give you tools, if you are at a point where you say, okay, I want to go towards that emotion and detect it, people like us, especially smarties, usually have an easier time detecting the emotion while we're on sativa. 
The reason for that is because we have the ability to process the feeling not only energetically in the body. Smarties, when they smoke sativa, usually they feel their energetic body. It's uh, this uh, ch central channel, uh, um, which in the East is called the Shushumna. Uh, the Ida and Pingala make the Shushumna, the central, uh, um, the central channel of energy in the body. And when we smoke sativa, we can feel it. So for example, example anxiety will feel like a, a heavy, uh, painful sensation under the diaphragm. And anger will feel like a burning sensation in the solar plexus, and so on and so forth. Each emotion will have a very distinct feeling uh, that it's associated with. And by thinking about the particular experience and by actually going towards it um, with the in the right moment, where when you're telling yourself, "Okay, I'm capable of doing it," could be very beneficial. And of course. Use caution, because this is this is you, and this is there's obviously a, a particular a particular place where your 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 psyche does not want to go, right? Um, I don't know if 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 that uh, there's a lot of information I kind of threw your way. I, I gave you a, sort of like a basic idea of how the mind works and how to distinguish between the masculine and the feminine mind. I told you about. Um, the um, the the technique of, of thinking about thinking. I told you about sativa versus indica in terms of uh, the auditory and the the visual, and I I spoke a little bit about um, PTSD in that context. What are your thoughts? What are you taking from this? And where are you right now with all this? So for me, it's always the most difficult thing is to get out of your, your head, to get out of that that static mindset that doesn't change. Um, because as long as the mindset doesn't shift or change, then you can't, nothing will change, not physically, not emotionally, not mentally. Um, so as we're going through and talking about trying to break up my, my thoughts and trying to basically categorize them and understand them, um, it brings a situation where um, I'm, I'm hopeful. I mean, um, I exhaust many different avenues of treatment and thought in order to find my way through this. Um, and so as I'm looking at my brain from the masculine and feminine and trying to relate that to how my thoughts are on the day to day, I'm finding various connections. Okay, yeah, this makes sense. Like, I see how my feminine mind is working. Oh, now I see, like, this is, these are the moments where my the masculine is more dominant and more um, in control. And so just being able to think about and understand my thought in that way beyond just how I would think otherwise, I think it's, it's, it's pretty great. I just, I want to, uh, I want to explore it for myself and try to understand exactly some of the mechanisms and for myself where a lot of this stuff is coming from. Okay. Good. This is exactly what I wanted. All I'm here for is to outline the structure and the mechanism of the mind to give you more and more tools on how to think about it yourself. And as I said in the beginning of the conversation, only you can do that because your mind is very specific and the patterns of thinking that you've um, acquired over the years are very specific to you. But I will tell you this, John, you have the capacity to control your mind. In the East... They tell us to control the mind by quieting the mind. But for a smarty, 
this is, you know, yeah, sure. Some of us experience this sometimes, uh, usually not when we want to, but usually when it just happened and, oh my God, that was amazing. But normally smarties are like, what the fuck are you talking about quieting my mind? My mind, it's like telling a man to grab a racing train and to stop it by literally grabbing to the one of the cars. It's impossible. The way smarties meditate, the way we can actually gain control over our mind is by literally taking control of the, um, the rudders, the handles, the wheel. And we do that by analyzing our thoughts. So we literally can slow our mind down by thinking about thinking. So we think more in order to think ultimately less. Because the more mm. you'll realize, right, that resonates. The more you'll realize how your mind works, the easier it'll be for you to control it. It's like, oh, that was an involuntary thought. And wow, I just went off three minutes uh, just thinking about it. And there was literally no reason. And I detached myself from the trunk of thought that I was focused on before. And so marijuana becomes a chest expander for the mind. It becomes this tool that allows us to slow our time perception so we can think more about thinking and analyze our thoughts and pave new neural pathways in the manner that we want, literally like you going to the gym, or um, make our time perception go faster and by that become more present in the body and train our mind to slow down and not think. And this is these are the tools that I want you to walk away with. So here's what I recommend. I want you to digest all that. I'm going to post this episode to the podcast. If you need to listen to it again, you'll listen to it again. If not, you won't. And just start paying attention to what happens in your mind in that context of masculine versus feminine, of voluntary versus involuntary, of rational versus irrational, of um, sequential in time versus instantaneous. Start noticing patterns. Your mind, by default, can tell patterns. As I was talking, you were making the pat patternist connections in your mind in terms of how you think and you're nodding, uh, you know, it's just what we do, we smarties. So as you're going to start paying attention to the way you think and the way marijuana impacts the way you think, things are starting to uh, are going to start to come together as a puzzle. And the more you think about thinking and the more you're going to get to know your mind, the more you'll be able and more comfortable you'll be able to think about your PTSD or whatever we call that diagnosis, the panic attack, the anxiety, the, um, uh, you know, this bad word, psychosis, this, what happens when you have a PTSD attack, when you have PTSD symptoms? Your sense of reality is not real. There is something that you're forgetting. You're forgetting that you're safe. You're forgetting that you're not on the battlefield anymore. You're forgetting that you're, that, that these are just fireworks. So there's a direct link between memory and the way we think. In fact, memory is almost like the dark side of a planet. doesn't matter how the planet spins. There's always going to be a part that is dark that we cannot remember. And what changes in our memory dictates our experience. Okay? Um, it might, you might need more than a week to process these things. And this is going to be... Uh, I want you to also pay attention to your dreams. 
I know it's very hard to dream while we smoke marijuana habitually. And most people I know don't dream when they smoke marijuana. And that is a huge uh, piece of the puzzle uh, because dreams are the way of the feminine mind to tell us stories because she doesn't speak with language. So um, she she speaks metaphorically to us in our dreams. And um, But pay attention. Pay attention to anything different over the next few days. And as I told you before, I want you to take notes. Have some kind of a journal, have some kind of a diary that you can take notes so that you can come back here and you can share with me and with the listeners what took place and what new things that you learned about your mind so we can continue and work with this PTSD. Yeah, the, the two hemispheres really got me thinking about how my brain analyzes thought and how I go about, like, just going about understanding how I think. And a lot of the cyclical issues that I find myself stuck in could be remedied by a certain, I would say, not, not actually a change in mindset, but understanding of how my brain works on a, on a more deep level. Mm. Um, and yeah, it was just when, when I, I find for myself that uh, almost, it's almost like being in a trance. Um, but when we talk sometimes, because I just, the, what you're saying just resonates with me on such a, 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 a not symbiotic, but, just an equal wavelength on some things and it just makes things click in my brain. And so I have this like feeling of Eureka briefly in my head. as like, Oh, this makes sense. Now this specific thought is that way because of this and, and this. And so then everything in your brain just starts to slowly, not everything, but pieces of your thoughts and your, your psyche, I would say, start falling into place on some level. Hmm. Yeah, thank you. So, so that that really gives me an indication of, of of what's happening, and the response is common uh, when I speak to people, spe- specifically smarties, uh, wiseies, not because they're not smart, uh, but because they're they're not really abstract thinkers. So it's hard for them to think about thinking, and they it's like, oh, fine. So the mind has a mechanism. Who cares, right? How does that help me? Yeah. Um, but um, I also want to say, like, all these understandings, these eureka moments, these are new neural pathways that are being paved. The problem is that we also experience short-term memory loss with marijuana. And so these neural pathways, you know, they go away. And the only way to maintain them is to somehow speak it or write it. So the more you speak, the more you articulate the mental understanding uh, that you're gaining, the better it'll be. And so in the future, uh, in future episodes, what I want us to do is I want us to focus on you talking and articulating uh, what's happening in your mind as much as possible. Now, it's yeah. really hard because the mind doesn't necessarily use words to think. Even if it does in the inner dialogue, it does it sort of with a, sort of like a shorthand abbreviation. There's a super fast thing that's happening and then imagery comes in. And, you know, this knowing that I was talking about. And when we try to articulate in words, we realize, oh, wow, I, I literally don't have the words. There's a disconnect between what's yeah. happening in the mind and the words, right? But it right. resonates. And the reason it resonates is because we all have the same template of the mind. When it comes to the mind, we're all created in one image. And so... Um, 
repetitiveness. Repetitiveness is critical when it comes to these things. Um, I'm really wondering what would happen if you were exposed to fireworks under the influence of sativa, specifically if you did not smoke for at least a day before that, I would say for at least 12 hours. Uh, it would be great if you had like a three-day of cleaning. And then, I mean, not, not something to do right now, but something to work towards, right? And then, so you know... The, the, the what? It's really Independence Day is coming up. Something to work towards, right? I mean, but then smoke sativa, specifically sativa, so you can think about thinking, and then uh, be exposed to to the fireworks, or even start with just looking at a movie of a fireworks on YouTube and see what happens. And what happens when we are altered with sativa, we can guide the thought, because our voluntary thought is so dominant, we can guide the thought and we can go towards the the emotion and we can have that detection of emotion and then we can potentially articulate it um then we can potentially investigate it then we can, it's called in um in various traditions there's various names for it but in in occultism for example it's called walking into the uh the the the, the lightning you know in tarot there's a uh, a card that is showing like a lightning striking a tower it's uh, corresponding to the letter um, to the letter ein uh, pe to the letter pe in uh, in in the Hebrew alphabet because the twenty two tarot uh, major arcana correspond to the twenty two Hebrew letters, and the idea is that we all have this lightning strike that is changing our consciousness, and most people shy away from it, uh, uh, run away from it, and the spiritual seeker goes directly towards it. Um, with no fear, because they're saying, I, I am in control. I'm, and they're asked, you can ask your subconscious whatever you want. You can tell her, do not let me faint unless it's for my safety. But otherwise, I want you to gently give me the sensations that I shy away from because I want to understand them. She will do it. I'm not kidding. I kid you not. This is not like a woo-woo bullshit this is how the mind works. The feminine mind is submissive to the masculine mind. She has to. If you read Genesis, Genesis is a metaphor for how the mind works, the story of creation. Um, and, uh, you know, Adam and Eve. Adam, why we call it Adam? What does Adam mean? You know, in English, Adam is somebody, someone's name. But in Hebrew, Adam means human. The human mind is the self-conscious mind, the voluntary mind, the voluntary mind, the mind that is self-conscious, the, the mind that is aware of itself, the mind that thinks is the only difference between us and animals, right? Animals only have the feminine mind. They only perceive reality instantly. That's why they're, um, uh, they have uh, greater pain tolerance and greater ability to withstand the elements, is because they can only experience one thing at a time, you know. Human beings are the only people, that, uh, the only animal on the planet that can actually get PTSD. Exactly. All the rest of animals. Yeah, if you look at animals, you look at how they they start shaking after a chase, um, and that's literally their bodies shaking off the energy, the adrenaline, mm. uh, that fear, uh, that panic, and literally they shake it off of themselves. Mm. Um, 
I wish I could do that. That'd <laughs> Maybe, be great. Yeah. Literally, like you, they say, shake it off. I mean, I, I wish it was literal. I wish I could. Oh, okay, right there, right there. We hit the nail on the head. I say that intuitively, but also, and if you have a place to write it down, uh, 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 I would. I'll tell you why. There is nothing that you say that is uh, a coincidence. Every word that comes out of your mouth, there's a reason for it. I've done this so many times, and I've done this with people. You smoke sativa. And you go towards what you don't want to go towards. And you literally do some kind of a physical activity. It could be speech. It could be movement that relates to that. What if you did shake it off? What if you did ask under high sativa? What if you did ask your subconscious, I want to shake it off. Whatever fear I have, I want to shake it off. I have stories for you, my friend. If you remind me next time, it'll be a little test for your memory. We'll see if you can remember this. I will not bring this up. Uh, next time, and we'll see if you can remember. Ask me to tell you about my own experience under sativa that caused me to faint and what happened then. And um, if you said right now, I wish I could shake it off, that means every time we say I wish, we know that it's the feminine mind because the feminine mind rules desire. It's the masculine mind that rules will. Our willpower is ruled by the masculine mind. And so if you say, I wish, it's something that comes from an intuitive speech. It's like, oh, you know, you're expressing a desire, okay? Well, what if you can? Who says that you can't? We have the mind of animals. They don't have the mind of humans. So maybe you can. Whatever experience that took place that caused you this PTSD is... is took place in the deep tissues of your cell and it will come out from your cell only through action, only through, through a particular expression of sort. And that, my friend, is the power of the masculine, of the human mind, that you can guide the experience yourself once you understand how the mind works. You can say, oh, I rule you. I rule the subconscious. I'm going to tell you what to do. Help me. You can't tell her how to do it, but you can tell her what to do. She'll, In fact, she'll always do it in a slightly different way than what you ask, but she'll do it. And she might not do it in that time frame. But I, let me tell you, I don't think I've ever said intention, which is a fancy way of, a way of saying, telling my subconscious what I want. Um, and it didn't work out. So just putting it out there, start thinking about it in these terms there's great books out there that explain how that works. And um, you're absolutely right about anxiety. Uh, Freud wrote a book called The Problem of Anxiety. Anxiety is the only emotion that is unique to humans. And the reason is, is because anxiety is a racing of the voluntary mind of a probability, possibility that is likely or not likely to happen. We determine that it is likely to happen and we dive into a, almost like a Pac-Man that is stuck and is spinning around itself uh, somewhere in the game. And we just get stuck in that possibility, probability. We're sure it's going to happen. And from there, it's, it's panic time. That's it. It's a thought. If you, you cannot be afraid, you cannot have anxiety while you're not thinking. For you to have anxiety, you must be thinking. And that, my friend, is a huge, huge piece of the puzzle. 
So, um, yeah. Sounds phenomenal. Yeah, I'm. It's not going to be an easy one because delving into the the whatever you, we want to call it is uh, is a challenge, but it's something that I think for myself will be extremely rewarding in the end. Excellent. Well, John, I want to thank you for for your uh, willingness and uh, candid approach to the whole situation. I know it's not easy, um, but I, I I feel like um, I feel like you have true desire to um, to rebalance your mind in a particular way. And as much as you love, uh, just like me, as much as you love and appreciate the plant, you understand that it's essentially just a tool, just a kabaim. Um, um, How do you say kabaim? Crutches. Uh, crutches, yeah. yeah. It's a crutch. It's a crutch, and it's not sustainable, and the body develops uh, immunity to it, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So. All right. Well, John, thank you, and uh, thank you, thank the uh, thank the listeners who listened this far. Um, if you if this podcast episode has taught you something about your mind, I want to hear from you. Go to creorg.institute, that's C-R-I-O-R-G dot institute, and click contact, and tell me what you think. This podcast is currently available on iTunes and on creorg.institute. Um, and hopefully soon, if uh, Google will get their shit together, available as well on the Play Store. And I believe that it's already available on Spotify. Um, Consciousness Research Institute is located in Spokane, Washington. We are focused on uh, making sense of the mind. Uh, the mind, not the brain. Um, we all have access to the mind. The mind does have a mechanism, does have a structure. And when we pay attention to the way we think, we start thinking differently. Podcast music was created by Andy Rumsey. More information on andyrumsey.com. You can find his music on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, and all the other good places. Smoke responsibly. Speaking.